0: Well, good morning. Our first scripture is found in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. And it says Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do work for his good pleasure. And our second scripture is in Philippians 1.6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm looking out and I'm seeing a center aisle that's to my left and your right now. It's no longer the center. So that's a little different for me to look out and see. So this group is smaller than this group, which scripturally would mean that, you know, you enter by the narrow gate. (laughs) Just kidding. I can't believe I said that just after communion, of all things when we come together as the body of Christ. It's good to see you. Rini and I were away last weekend. We just took one night. It's amazing what 24 miles and 24 minutes can do to refresh you. Uh, we just wanted to get, get out of town, just went south a little ways, and just had a nice evening together. And, uh, and w- what a blessing as a fellowship to have elders who actually do what the Bible says, and that is to teach the Word of God. And last week, we were taught well, weren't we, as uh, Pastor Brenton brought the word. And we we intentionally here at Vero Bible, about every six weeks, sometimes it's less than that, sometimes a little more, but we try to make it about every six weeks that we allow an elder to teach the Bible on Sunday morning, uh, because God's blessed us with such wonderful, gifted, uh, and men who love Jesus and who love his word. So we're thankful, and I'm, I'm just glad to come in off the heels of last week's message and continue in our study. Uh, Helen actually shared the, the passage, the scripture that we'll be studying today in verses 12 and 13 of, of chapter 2 in Philippians. So if you have that open, let's go ahead and seek the Lord for, in prayer before we actually start our study. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity and the privilege of standing behind a pulpit. Uh, I don't take that lightly. I, I, I am not worthy to stand here. It is only by your grace and your calling and your gifting that I'm able to do this. I acknowledge that the lead teacher this morning is the Holy Spirit. Allow me, Lord, just to be a tool in your hand this morning. But may we receive this word from the book of life. May we receive it from you. And I pray, Lord, that what people will remember coming out of this message is not my words, But they would remember the word of God. Because it is the word that changes us. It's the word that strengthens us. It's the word that supplies us. And we give you all the praise and glory for that. Amen. Amen. Let me read the verse again for us. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out Your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. Our text today is an interesting passage to unpack, because in it, Paul highlights a paradox that is hidden in our salvation, or even in our sanctification Sanctification, by the way, is different than salvation. Sanctification is the process of our spiritual growth and development uh, as believers after we're saved. It's an ongoing work in us, both to will and do his pleasure. But that's not the word he uses here. He, He says specifically, work out your salvation, not your sanctification. And so we need to address this. This is a paradox. What I'm going to be sharing this morning is going to really stretch us in our thinking and in our understanding of God and salvation, of God and of sanctification. And that's a good thing, that the word of God would sharpen us. My prayer is that today God will open you up like he's opening me up, like a Thanksgiving turkey, and he is doing a work in me. He is teaching me from his word. I pray that for you. The question that seems to be hanging over this ver- these two verses is, is this, is our sanctification God's work in us or is it our work in us? Let me really blow your mind. Is our salvation God's work in us or is it our work in us? It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. He seems to be saying both. Is that even possible? Is it God doing the work of sanctification in me, or is it me working it out myself? The answer is yes and yes. I told you this is going to stretch you a little bit. What we're going to see this morning in this teaching is that our spiritual growth and development sits in the balance of two things man's responsibility and God's empowering. Let me say that again. Our, our, our spiritual growth and development as believers sits in the balance of man's responsibility and God's empowering. Let me give you, listen, this is not my opinion, this is not my thought, my idea of what this passage means. It irritates me when I hear a Christian say to another Christian, well, what does that passage mean to you? As if there's a thousand ways and a thousand meanings of the passage. The passage isn't open to our interpretation, our own personal interpretation. The passage has a right exegesis, a right interpretation. It's us, it's upon us to to understand that and then measure up to it. The passage doesn't come down to fit my life. I must go up and understand what God's saying and what God's doing in that passage. I line up with the word. The word doesn't line up with me. So let me give you some scripture because that's really where we have to find uh, the the defense for what we're studying this morning. So we're going to be turning in scripture, so please have your thumb ready, your index finger turn those pages let's hear the angel wings this morning okay in the room and if you have notes we do have that little philippians notebook that we provide each week that you can take one and and write it in the passages are already there but you can fill in as god speaks to you by his word second peter chapter one verse three and four. four second peter chapter one verse three and four go ahead and turn if you will second peter chapter one verse three and four peter is addressing christians and here's what he says to us believers, okay, we believers. 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I do want to back up on a side note quickly and say to you that, that uh, verse 4, by which he has granted to us, speaking of Christians, his precious and great promises. In this age that we live in, the church age, what God is granting to us is understanding of his word. He's granting to us the ability to have faith in the word. He's granting to us to not have to walk by sight, but walk by faith. Yet in the day that we live, many Christians are still trying to walk by sight. They're still trying. They're looking for signs. They're looking for wonders. They're looking for evidence that they can trust God. But hear me when I say this, and I say it very carefully, and I say it Uh, with charity. This is not the age when God is wanting to manifest himself in that way, as much as he is trying to get us to focus on what he's already told us and what he has already done. The Bible is loaded with manifestations of God's presence among his people. Amen? The Bible is filled with experiences and stories of wonders and signs and demons being cast out That Jesus and the apostles did. It's loaded. Now, Jesus says, don't be like the Galileans who have to have a sign in order to believe. Here are all the signs. They're recorded for us. Believe them. He said, in turn, be like the Samaritans who never had the signs, but they heard the word that I spoke, and they believed. That's a side note. It's not part of the message. I just threw that one in. So verse 4, by which he has granted to us his pra-. By the way, when God does do something that's marvelous in our midst, we give praise and honor for that. Amen? Amen. So, so that's, we're not against that. It's just that don't live your life on that roller coaster ride of sensuality that, I have to, that God has to appeal to my five senses for me to really think that I'm in good standing with him. No, no, no. It's what I know about him that gives me confidence in him. And that's what he's saying here. It's by his precious and very great promises. So that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now, from this passage, we would say that everything that Peter just said that is related to life and godliness is God's gift to us. It's God's work for us. Okay? It's God's divine power that does the work. It's by his divine power that we're saved. You are saved by God, right? Amen? And by become, becoming partakers of his divine nature. That's really what you inherited when you were saved. And, and by his work, we're able to escape the corruption. This part of the passage would lead you to conclude that all of this is God's work in us. All things pertaining to life and godliness come from God. You can't, that's what it says, But look at verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Now, Peter is saying that it takes our diligence to produce. It takes our diligence to produce these very things that he's mentioning. On one hand, it's all God. And on the other hand, it will take everything you've got to accomplish it. It's a yes and yes. Now, that's a paradox. Your salvation, your sanctification is a paradox. So what is the believer's role in salvation or in, in sanctification? And what is God's role? Uh, This this is really a message on clarifying doctrine. Some of us are are not clear on this. And so when people speak to us, they'll bring up these what uh, seem to be opposing views. Uh, These seem to be contradictions in the Bible. And Christians don't have an answer for it. That's what we're trying to do this morning is equip you with the answer. Okay, So... What we're going to see from Paul's teaching here is two very distinct works that are going on. In verse 12, we see the Christian, he calls it, he says, work out your salvation. The Christian's working out. And then in verse 13, he actually says, it's God working in. There's you and I who are working out and God is working in. Let's unpack it. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is interesting to note how he starts this. He says, my beloved, as you are working out, always know it is that God, God loves you. And because he loves you, he's with you as you are working it out. Okay, that's real important to understand. And then he says, he says, obey. So he loves me and he wants me to obey, okay? So the subject in this verse is the idea of working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that really mean? Well, this verse has caused much confusion among many Christians because it sounds like our salvation is a work of man. If you look at it on the surface, face value, it sounds like I saved myself. That's how I get saved. And that's exactly how some have interpreted it. Some will say that we need to work for our salvation. Others will say, I need to work at my salvation. Others who are more demonstrative would say, well, I need to work up my salvation. Okay? And I'm going to tell you all three are wrong. That's a wrong interpretation of this passage. Salvation isn't by works. No man can work for, work at, or work up his salvation. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Write this verse down, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 24. Romans three twenty one through 24, let me read it for you. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested, listen now, apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, here it is, and are justified by his grace as a gift, your salvation, your justification is by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So let's set aside the notion that salvation is by works. Paul isn't trying to say that. He, he says, work out, not work for, work at, work up, but rather work out your salvation with fear and trembling. To work out suggests that it's already in me. I don't have to try to attain it. I'm not working for it, towards it, up, working it up. It's in me. I just need to work what's in me out. My salvation is already in me. Does that make sense? Can I hear an amen on that? Aren't you glad that that's a a settled issue? Now let's understand the proper usage of the term to work out. This verb, to work, is in the present tense imperative which places it in the category of being a command, a command that never ends, a continual command, a command towards completion. When he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, he's saying, for the rest of your earthly life, I'm commanding you to pursue completing the work that God did in you by salvation. This idea that somehow I get saved and now I just sit back on my rear end and do nothing except wait for my turn to go to heaven and have a new body and live with God forever. That whole concept needs to go away. Every day that we live as believers, we are to be working, allowing God to do that work in us, and we are working out. We're working out. Practically speaking, we're called to holy living on a daily basis, to work out, what is in us, to bring the riches of Christ that have been deposited in us by salvation to the outside. That's really what he's up to. Get what's in you out so that God can be honored and glorified through your life. That's not a Sunday thing. I go to church on Sunday and I feel good about that because I know God's pleased that I went to church. You're totally missing it. If you're saved every second of every day, God is working in you. You ought to be working out what's in you. Amen? Amen. And I, why? Because I want my life to be a visible demonstration that there is glory in God, not in me. You probably didn't realize how much of a role you play in your, in your sanctification, but Scripture is replete with examples of this beautiful balance between God's empowering and man's responsibility. Let me give you another passage. Write it down. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, do, not, do you not know that in a race, this is Paul now, he's describing it here, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain the prize. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we receive an imperishable crown, Amen? So I do not run aimlessly through life as a Christian, just kind of scooting along, doing whatever, and letting things happen the way it happens, and living the life that I want to live the way I want to live it, knowing I'm eternally secure. No, 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 no. I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's not saying that only if I preach well and, and pursue and work hard will I be saved. He's saying that those who are truly saved will preach well and work hard to, uh, in their salvation. They'll work out what God put in them. Amen? So Paul likens your spiritual growth to a boxer preparing to win a fight or a runner who clearly has his sights set on the prize of winning the race. Both require discipline and effort all the time. An Olympic runner doesn't just start running the year before the Olympics. Hey, I think I'll start training now. For four years, they're training. To be at your best, to win a championship, to win a gold medal, whatever the thing is, you have to constantly be thinking and training. Paul is taking that, on, that idea, that concept, and putting it in the Christian life, and he's saying, your salvation is not for you to sit back, take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Your Christian life is now, that you're saved, is working out every day what is going to be beautiful in the eyes of God, that I become a, a witness for Jesus, that I people see me, and they don't really see me. They see God in me. Then in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Verse 7 and 8, 2 Timothy 4, 7 and 8, Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He fought a fight throughout his life. He finished the race that he ran his whole life. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. So there's this battle, there's this race, there's this boxing match. Paul is admitting to the tremendous effort that is exerted over the course of a lifetime to win the race, the spiritual race. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Philippians 3, 3, 12 through 14. Again, I told you I'm going to hide behind the word of God on this. This is not me in my opinion. This is what the Bible teaches us. Philippians 3, 12 through 14, not that I have already obtained this. Now, wait a minute. Paul's writing to a church in Philippi from prison, and he's been faithful to go and travel on different missionary journeys. He is a faithful steward of Christ. And yet, in the midst of that, he says, I have not already obtained this. There's still more that I've got to work at and work out or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, here's the one thing, this is how I'm living my Christian life, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't sit back on my laurels. I press in and I press on to live out this beautiful salvation that was a free gift to me. Let me give you another one. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. 1 Timothy chapter 4, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. You get a sense that Paul is saying that as a believer, there's a work in front of us to be done every day. There's no time for Christians to slack up. There's no time to jump off the train just so I can go and live a hobo life. No, God's called me to stay with him in this. 1 Timothy 6:12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal listen. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. See, the believer's salvation needs to be viewed in three different ways. I want you to see salvation a little differently this morning. I'm not changing salvation. I'm not trying to come up with something new. This isn't new. This is just Bible, okay? Okay, first there's your past salvation, there's your present salvation, and your, your, your future salvation. We're just just putting it in category. We're, We're getting a different concept of it. In the past, you were saved. That means it's done, right? You became a Christian. It was a moment in time when you were taken out of darkness and you were placed in the marvelous light of Christ. You literally left the kingdom of darkness and entered the kingdom of God's own son. Hallelujah. You passed from death to life. You went from sin to righteousness. You went from being by nature a child of wrath to being a child of God. Wow. You were saved. You became a new creation, a a new creature. But there's not just the past salvation. There's looking at salvation in the present. In the present where you're living right now. Listen, you're being saved right now. Let me explain. We're in an ongoing process of being saved. God continues. We just did it this morning with communion. Brenton set it up beautifully. Why do we confess our sin? Because we still sin. And it brings us to a point of repentance over our sinfulness. Wait, I've already saved. Past tense. Yeah, that's right. But I'm still working, I'm still confessing. God continues to cleanse us from all sin. It isn't just a past action with future implications in heaven. It's an ongoing work of God in me every day. This is the keeping power of God that is working in each of us that are saved. You should be thankful for the present salvation that you're working through. Amen? That God's doing. And then thirdly, there's the, the, the future salvation. It hasn't happened yet. You say, wait a minute, yeah, no, yeah I'm saved already. It happened, already happened. No, no, not all of it not all of it, your future salvation is where you are awaiting the redemption of your body in heaven. Hallelujah. You are going to be, listen, you're going to receive a body that's not made with hands, but is eternal in the heavens. Glorified. That hasn't happened yet. So there's a past salvation, there's a present salvation, and there's a future salvation. Now that I've totally messed up your understanding of salvation, but I thought I was eternally secure. You are. The Bible teaches eternal security, but it also teaches the responsibility of the perseverance of the saints. Here's a question that we should ponder this morning. When you were saved, was it God? Or was it you? You want the right answer according to Scripture? It was all God and it was your full surrender. Without full surrender, there is no salvation because you have not met Jesus' terms of peace. Jesus said, if a man will not pick up his cross and follow after me, he is not worthy of me. You've got to sell out. You've got to say, I'm done. I am nothing. I'm a spiritual dead man apart from Christ, and only God can do that work in me, and I surrender to that work. Does that make sense? My guarantee of eternal life is based upon all of God's power securing me and All of my perseverance energized by the Spirit of God within me to move towards the great day of the Lord's return. So you have two things happening at the same time. And this is why Paul told young Timothy, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called. Salvation demands turning from sin and embracing the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not saved if you haven't repented. Bottom line. You confess sin, I repent. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, and repent that true repentance leads to the fruit of repentance. Salvation demands an act of the human will in which the sinner repents and places faith in, in the person and in the work of Jesus Christ. And yet, it is all of God who chose him before the foundation of the world and effected that salvation through sovereign grace. We find the same thing in the perseverance of believers. We are eternally secure because we are held with Christ in the hand of God, because God has so designed that it happened this way. Therefore, nobody can bring an accusation against you. God has secured you. I'm glad for that, aren't you? Especially when the scripture says that the devil goes before the Satan goes before God every day trying trying to accuse me. He's the accuser of the brethren, the Bible says. But God doesn't, God doesn't receive it. Thank you, Lord. God will not hear it. He, he, won't, he will not condemn his elect. It is God who justifies. It is Christ who stands for us. And even though it's all God in terms of our security, it is all us in terms of our perseverance. That's why the scripture says that those who endure to the end will be saved he's not saying that your endurance is what saves you in the end he's saying that those who are saved endure they never let up i am white hot on white hot fire for christ today like i was when i got saved I saw that in an older preacher he was in his mid 70s preaching of all places <laughs> in New York City downtown Times Square Church David Wilkerson Renie and I went to a service on a Tuesday night remember that Renie we went to the church on Sunday afternoon we stopped by because we were there for the few days and we stopped by and there was a guy out front washing the windows on the front of the bu- building. It's an old repertoire theater, okay? It's Broadway. They, they had a Broadway theater that they were meeting in. And I said to the man, hey, uh, you got a Tuesday service. Is David going to be preaching? You know what he said to me? I love this. This is spiritual maturity. He said, we don't know who's going to be preaching from, from service to service. We're not here for the man. We're here for the word. Oh. Woo! <laughs> and he's the window dresser. Oh, that's the right church right there now. We showed up on Tuesday night, got there kind of early, thinking, man, we're going to get a good seat. Look at this. And hardly anybody was in there. We started walking down towards the front, and I noticed on every single chair, and there's, they're the, the, the theater chairs, you know, they fold up. and like, On every chair is a Bible or, a, or, a, or a, um, like a coat or a sweater or something. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Well, these people are off praying somewhere. So we sit back towards the back. And that that service starts up, and man, you things jam Tuesday night, jam packed. And I didn't know if David Wilkerson was going to preach or not. I, by that point, man, I was just I was with the Lord. And sure enough, David Wilkerson's there. He gets up and he starts his message. He goes into the text and he is tearing this thing up. This is a mid seventy year old guy. He had a fire in his belly like a thirty year old man. I sat there, and I'm not kidding you, this, this thought hit me, and I said to the Lord, Father, allow me to be that kind of a Christian. Let me be that kind of a pastor who every day works out his salvation with fear and trembling, who never lets up, who stays faithful to the word, stays faithful to believe you and trust you and to let you shine through me and out of me. I was so moved in my heart when I saw that. Well, that's what, that's what Paul is talking about here. In fact, the Bible says that if we are not faithful to continue to the end, we shall not inherit eternal life. It takes all of us and all of God, and therein is the divine paradox, because it repeats many times over, in many different ways. Listen, Jesus said this, Matthew 24:13, Jesus. Matthew 24, 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. So when we come to this matter of sanctification or spiritual life and development and growth and maturity, we shouldn't be surprised to learn that it requires all of us and all of him to do it. Let's look at another passage where we see this wonderful balance between empowering God's empowering and man's responsibility. 1 Corinthians 15 1 Corinthians 15, 10, and 11. But by the grace of God I am, this is Paul now. By the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. Paul is speaking spiritually here. He's not only speaking about his salvation, but his spiritual development. He's saying, by the grace of God I am what I am at this moment as a Christian. As a teacher of God's truth, as an apostle of Christ, I am what I am by God's grace. And and God's grace didn't prove useless. God has made me what I am, Paul says. It's all God's work. That's really what he's saying here. Yet, verse 10, the latter part of the verse, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Who Who is the them? The other apostles. He lived longer than most of them. He went farther in terms of his missionary journey than all of them. The only one that outlived him was John. He says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. In other words, Paul's saying that he he is what he is because God made him what he is, but then he is what he is because he worked harder at it than anybody else. Here's this balance. And then he sums it all up. By going back to where he started, the last part of the verse, though it was not I, but the grace of God, that is with me. He's saying I have reached the level of spiritual development that I have because of God, because of God's work in me. It all is because of Him. I love that. Uh, Look at one more. You're saying, man, you just. This is the Bible. We are here to study the Bible, right? You're not here to hear me get up and give you a Hallmark story, some cute little story that makes you feel warm and fuzzy, go out of here thinking, oh, I just love my church. I just love my pastor. He's so funny. He's so, oh, I just love his stories. They just warm my heart. We will have none of that here. We are here for the truth of God's word. And there are times where God allows us to get a good laugh, you know? Or let us have a little warm fuzzy. But it's going to come because it's his work, not ours. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So to have been crucified with Christ means one thing. You're dead. If you've been crucified with Christ, you are dead. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul's clearly saying, it's not me, it's Christ. Whatever life I live, I'm dead to it. Christ now lives in me. That's what he's saying. But then on the heel of that powerful statement, he says in verse 20, latter part of the verse, and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So in the first half of the verse, I died, Christ lives. In the second half, I live in the flesh. I have to live in the flesh. But I live in the flesh by faith in the Son of God. I'm working at it. He doesn't live and then he does live. Which is it? So how do we all or clear all this up? What's the takeaway? How am I supposed to live this Christian life if it's by God? Or how am I going to live it if it's by me? So there are really... I could have given this to you at the very beginning. It would have been a short, very short message. <laughs> There's just two points to the sermon. We've got two verses, 12 and 13. The first point's in verse 12. The second point is in verse 13. Here it is. Write it down. Take away. This is the takeaway from Scripture. This is the right interpretation, the exegesis of the text. Philippians, let me read it again for you. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, point one, verse 12, we see the Christian working out. There should never be a case where a Christian is not working out. Let that seep in. Personalize it. And then the second point, verse 13, we see God working in. I'm working out. God is working in. To work out your salvation, again, that's a present imperative. It's continuing this forceful command of God, meaning the believer should continually be working out his salvation, he or she. It's a mandate in Scripture. It's a command in Scripture. It's not optional for the believer. But understand, he's not saying work at your salvation. Work up your salvation. Work for your salvation. Salvation is a free gift of God's grace, not of works. Therefore, when he says work it out, he simply means work out what is already in you that God put in you. God wants to produce on the outside of your life that which he planted on the inside. Make what is true of your redeemed nature that's inside of you now that you're saved. Make sure that that's visible to others on the outside of you. That takes effort every day, church. God wants to produce on the outside of your life that which he planted inside. What God has worked in by way of salvation, you are to work out by way of sanctification. But be clear, there is a definite individuality to this, okay, to this command. Listen, nobody's supposed to work it out for you. Nobody can work it out for you. You can't ride on the coattails of your parents, young people. You can't ride on the coattails of somebody else that you know who loves Jesus de- dearly and you're, you just hang out with them. No, this is an imperative. This is a command. You, you. Only you can work it out of you, okay? No one else can do this for you. Now, interesting what he says here. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now we get the way, the the means, the how. How How should we work out our salvation? In other words, there should be a healthy fear in your heart of offending God by your life. A healthy fear in your heart of offending God. There should be a trembling when you contemplate the consequences of such an offense. This is a right reaction to our weakness and our inadequacy. Because you are weak, clothed in flesh and blood. I am weak in my flesh and blood. But listen, uh, temptation, because I'm weak, becomes even greater, right? And you know what I'm talking about. When you're really feeling physically weak or emotionally drained, when you're really weak, that's when temptation becomes even stronger. Satan does know what he's doing. So so, so here, here it is. Do it with fear and trembling. Fear means godly awe. That grows out of my recognition of my weakness and temptation's power. When he talks about fear, he's talking about a healthy fear that puts you on guard so that you don't stumble and you don't lose your joy, which is what this whole book is about. So that you don't offend the one you supremely love. So that you don't violate your testimony to an unbelieving world. So that you don't neutralize your usefulness in the body of Christ, serving the Lord with the gifts that he has given you putting forth the effort to be part of the family of God, being in unity with others in this fellowship, not letting difficult relationships hinder you from continuing to work in that relationship. So as Christians, we are distinct from the rest of the world, and we have this amazing privilege of not only serving our God, but also having our God dwelling within us. We literally have an intimate relationship with the true God of the universe. He actually takes up residence inside of me and inside of you. We talk with him. We hear him speak by his word. We we experience the comforts and the encouragement and the guidance and the direction because he's present. He's present with us. This is our God. God. In fact, this is the God that the Old Testament describes. When the Old Testament describes God, it describes him in a personality. It speaks of a personality. Let me read something for you. Write it down. Psalm, Psalm 18, verses 3 through 19. I'm going to read this. This is beautiful. I'm closing down. We're getting ready to finish here. But we're going somewhere. Because I think at the end of gaining understanding or knowledge... By the Holy Spirit, now the Holy Spirit wants to do something with it in us. Psalm 18, 3 through 19. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of Sheol entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. Wow. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. "'Thick darkness was under his feet. "'He rode on a cherub and flew. "'He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. "'He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him. "'Thick clouds dark with water. "'Out of the brightness before him, "'hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. "'The Lord also thundered in the heavens, "'and the Most High uttered his voice, "'hailstones and coals of fire. "'And he sent out his arrows and scattered my enemy.' He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. When you think about your enemy, you think about the sin that held you captive before you came to Jesus. You think about the fact that you were bound to your sin. You couldn't break loose. You were in chains to sin. Then the channels of the sea were seen and the foundations of the world were laid bare at your rebuke, O Lord. At the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from on high, he took me, he drew me out of many waters." He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me. Here it is. Remember Paul started verse 12. Beloved, you're loved of God. Listen, he rescued me because he delighted in me. God is personal, and he has an abiding relationship with you. And we experience the fullness of it every single day if we open our spiritual eyes and look. The truth is, if he hasn't worked in us, you would be unable to do any working out. This whole idea of working out your salvation can only happen if God's put salvation in you. All of the effort of verse 12 would be useless if it were not for verse 13. So it's important that we see this wonderful balance found in Scripture in the life of sanctification that we live. I am working out and God is working in. You're not alone as you're working out. He's not only with you, he's in you by the Holy Spirit. Amen? But he's not going to do that work for you. He already did his work. He saved you. That's why the scripture says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And in due season, he will lift you up. Humble yourself. That's why the scripture says, come boldly before the throne of grace and receive help in your time of need. If you don't come forward, you're not going to get it. There's a work I'm working out. This is the glory of the Christian life, that God calls us to obey because he loves us. That's why we obey. Amen? Don't do obedience for any other reason than the fact that you know how much God loves you. I just read from Psalm 18. If that doesn't tell you how much God loves you, I don't know what will. And not only does he call us to obey, but then he affects our obedience. He can bring it to pass. God calls us to holiness, and then he affects that holiness in us. He calls us to serve, and then he affects that service with gifts and energy and passion. Uh, You know, today, you know, we have all the ministries, and I do pray please don't walk by the tables when you leave. Stop and look at the tables. And not just take a look and observe, but Lord, is there something that I, you're calling me to be part of? Where do you sense as you walk by those tables and you notice the types of ministries that are going on? It can be a ministry where you are actually ministering to others, serving them in some way, or it could be a ministry where you're just carrying out a, a responsibility, a duty that's needed. We have, a, we have a, a two men, listen to this, we've got two men who every single Sunday, one or the other, comes early and sets up signage on 66th and on 58th. And then in front of both entrances to the school. And then they hang the signs at the gates. Every single Sunday, two men. Right now, if we had two more people who would say, that's a work I'll do. That's part of my working out. Then nobody has to do it more than once a month. That's a significant improvement for these men that are having to do it every week. That, that's just one example. I mean, ushering, greeting, getting involved in ministry, working out by attending a Bible study. I was so excited to hear that the Bible study that the ladies just started is just, it's going great. And the men's ministry, going great. And there's new ministries that are going to be coming on the scene, I'm telling you. It's exciting. You got to be part of it. And not just participating by sitting in a chair, but How can I use my service for the Lord? Your spiritual growth demands that that you are all in, but it also demands that God is in you. You can't do these things if God's not in you. You have to be saved. Brenton already described what the gospel is, so we're not going to repeat that, but I am going to tell you that this is the day of your salvation as the Holy Spirit, even right now in this room, is calling some of you in this room to salvation. The best thing you can do is not resist, but completely surrender to the work of God's free gift in your life, salvation. Recognize your sinful state. Confess your sin. Repent. Think differently. Turn and go a new direction. Live a different life. Gather new friends that love Jesus the way you love Jesus. Start living life to the fullest for God. Amen? That is how we live the Christian life. That's the mark. That's the standard for Bureau Bible Fellowship. This is the Christian life. Anything short of this is short of Scripture. Let's live the Word. Amen? Father, thank you this morning for every person that is here. Thank you for every ear that was open. And I also know that there are times where people who gather with us and their ears are not open. And it could be that you're not calling them. But those who have an ear to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is teaching us today by the text. Amen. I want to invite the prayer partners and also the elders that are present to come forward and stand across the front if you have a prayer need come and meet with one of them they'll lift your need up but also if you today receive Jesus as your savior by grace through faith come up and just tell them that man we just want to celebrate the good news that you are now a child of God celebrate that now heaven is rejoicing over your repentant heart so please come up and join us, okay? God bless each. Make sure you go to the tables. Find where God will use you to serve him. God bless.